Hi, this is Pete Price with a very special podcast. I'm delighted to say that June Brown was a dear friend of mine. It's been interesting to see EastEnders saying goodbye to June through Doc Cotton. We lost June a while ago. There was a very, very private uh, ceremony and her close friends went and said goodbye to her. She was a very special lady and this is an early interview I did with her. I loved her so much. She was a fascinating person and a dear friend and I was very privileged to know June Brown. Sit back and listen to the late June Brown who we've said goodbye to as Doc Cotton on EastEnders. All I can say to June Brown is about time. Why have we waited so long for this book? Hello, June. Well, there were many reasons, dear. And one of them is how all occasions do inform against me. It's a rather <laughs> complicated way of saying I've been obstructed at every turn. Oh, and it's been in the making since 2000, but it got left because of circumstances. Um, oh, my husband got dementia, then he died, then I moved, and it was all. So then we picked it up again in 2008, and I withdrew and said, no, I don't think so. And then finally, I think it was probably 2012, and I didn't really attack it until two or three months ago, which has nearly killed me in the process of writing, I don't know, adding 50,000 words or something. Wow. I know, and I've not... I haven't slept, I haven't had much sleep, and I've had very little food, and I've been seven days a week uh, at a table writing in capital letters, but <laughs> I can't use a computer, and all my helpers couldn't read me handwriting, and words came out in a very funny way, and so I had to resort to capital letters, darling, and I am absolutely wiped out, I think is the expression. If you haven't realised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking to June Brown. She's got a book out, which I love the title, Before the Year Dot. Where did that come from? That's a cracking title. Well, it was actually my daughter, Sophie, who started me off in 2000. And it was her idea. And we all thought that was rather good. And it is good, isn't it? Well, it's not mine. So I can't lay claim to that. It was my daughter, second daughter, Sophie, came up with that one. Now, why do you work so hard? I don't want to. I think you're supposed to sort of slow down when you get older. You're supposed to have a rocking chair and roses round the door and, you know, sunshine. And But mine gets worse, darling. I don't think it's fair, but nothing's fair as we know. And I've got more in my head now than I ever had before. How do you cope with, uh, first of all, learning lines? Do you find it any more difficult now you're getting a little bit older? No, no, I really don't. I'm very fortunate. Unless anything happens to me and I lose some of my faculties. No, I, I'm very lucky that I can learn. I don't even learn, really. I read it two, two or three times. And, you know, and I find big chunks easier even than the odd line because the odd line could come in anywhere, more or less, and be said in several different ways, you know, because they're ordinary. But if you've got a chunk and it's re well written, then it really flows. And I find, you know, I find if you think 
of what it means mm-hmm. for the learning lines. I think some people, they sort of try and stuff them in, and I think, oh, don't bother. Think of the thought, what you're actually saying, and then, you know, they will go into your head easily. Yeah, that's unfortunate there. Adam is the same, who plays Ian. He learns very easily. Well, I think I, I think it's a gift because I've now got my script already for Panto and I'm struggling. I, I really worry. I get myself... All I worry for, June, is the fact that I'm working with other people. I will deliver on the day, but I, I have sleepless nights over it. Oh, darling, you'll be all right. You mustn't worry. You see, the great thing people used to say to you, enjoy it. And you'd think, what a load of rubbish. How can I enjoy it? But quite honestly... That's what you have to do. Yeah. You have to think, oh, lovely, I'm going on the stage now and I'm going to have a lovely time. And then the audience will have a lovely time because mm-hmm. they'll feel confident and you won't worry at all. You see, I've said this to so many people. Please think of what you're actually saying, you know, and don't bother about learning this word and that, this, that. No, you're making it hard for yourself, Pete, dear. Thank you, June. Now let's talk about the book. What's going to shock people, in your opinion? Well, I think they might be surprised at how many love affairs I had. But it, you must remember that it was wartime, and it was quite different. No longer you were away from home, I was in the Wrens. But it wasn't just that with me. I think the book shows that I was searching for something. I was searching for this perfect relationship, this perfect love that accepted you as you were with no criticism, which I had from my lovely sister for the first seven years of my life. She was the kindest, sweetest girl I could ever... She was only a year and four months older than me. She looked after me. She cared for me. You know, if I was frightened to go on the top of a new trolley bus, she stepped back quietly with me and waited for the little one to come. She'd have loved to have gone up the stairs and to the front, but she never made me feel I was a nuisance. She never was cross. She had such patience. And I've sort of, that's what I've been looking for, some, some man who treated me in the same way. Because <laughs> I think any relationship should be a mutual admiration society. I don't think you should criticise each other. I think you should be very patient and loving. And then it'll work. And so that's what I looked for. June, was it a hard book to write? Because you have had the most amazingly full life. Well, it was very easy to write the childhood. Somebody said to me the other day, your childhood, how do you remember it? It's crystal clear. I said, it is crystal clear to me. You know, everything about it, my childhood... I often wish I could go back to it. I mean, there were unpleasant things happening in it. I had a father who drank. But, you know, there was a lot of joy in it. And I found that easy. I found the things that I didn't remember so clearly, like uh, later school years a bit difficult because nothing that much happened, except I fell in love with someone uh, who was 10 years older than me when I was 14, and uh, that was very serious. I mean, it wasn't a, a physical relationship because we didn't do things like that in those days. Well, some people did, naturally, and there were what we called illegitimate babies, but it wasn't accepted, you see. It, mm-hmm. wasn't a, it was frowned on, and you were very careful, really, not to overstep the boundary. 
You, you've worked with some of the greatest, and you are, to me anyway, one of the greatest. But you, you name drop, but you name drop because you just know everybody and work with them. And I always remember the first time you ever uh, stayed with me forever this June. I was driving you around Liverpool, and you went, I've stayed in digs there with Peggy. And I went, Peggy, who? And you went, Dame Peggy Ashcroft, dear. <laughs> I never, ever forgot that statement, which was Can't great. Say that. It must have been a hotel if it yeah, was Peggy. Yeah. Well, I, you see, I wouldn't call her Peggy when I first met her. We were very polite to her. We would never call actors, leading actors, by their Christian names. And I did it by accident on a plane. And I said, come on, Peggy. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, why? I said, because I called you Peggy. And she said, but of course you must call me Peggy. So even when she became a dame, because I'd been given permission, I called her Peggy. But you didn't, I always called Dame Edith, Dame Edith. And and Sir John, I remember George Devine saying to us one day, why don't you call him John when you talk about him? And we said, because we don't call him that to his face. We call him Sir John, Sir John. You didn't do it, and Mr. and Miss, we said. You never called the director by his Christian name. And no lowly actor in the bottom of the company would call one of the leading actors by their name, you see. June, you're a very private woman, always have been. Was it difficult to write a book like this? Well, it rather worried me, because I didn't know it was going to have it. It's not serialised, but there are two chapters came out in a newspaper which I knew wasn't going to happen. And it's not what I've written, exactly. It's been uh, things are left out and sentences are changed. I nearly went mad. I thought, what have they done to my book, thinking it was the poor publishers? And it wasn't. It was the the journalists. And I thought, what's it? And I, nearly, I was nearly crying. I thought, I can't bear it. What's happened to it? But also I found it... When I saw it in print there, I didn't read very much of it because it wasn't what I'd written um, precisely. Uh, but I thought, I don't. why have I revealed myself like this? Why have I done it? I don't think I really want to have done it. It's too late now. Good is published. But you're not coming to Liverpool for a book signing. No, I might mention it because it would be rather fun because I'd love to see you again. And thank you very much for all those lovely texts you sent me. <laughs> I'll tell your listeners that what he does, if he likes what I've done as Dot, and he loves it when she rants. I think he laughed, the last one said, I love it when Dot rants. And he always sends me a message to say that he enjoyed it and liked it, don't you, Pete? I do indeed, because I'm a fan, but I also, there's very few people in the industry quite like you. I've got to ask you this. Sir David Jason has said recently, TV bosses put value on high ratings rather than quality. I'm sure you have an opinion on that. That they put value on high ratings... Rather than quality of programmes. What's he mean? Oh, high rating as a tease. Well... I shouldn't. I mustn't really talk about the BBC because I'm under contract. No, but we won't talk about anyone. We'll talk about television in general. Well, yes, it's true. They've they've gone mad about these ratings. The BBC, of course, wasn't meant to be a, a corporation that went for ratings. They were a public service, so they always went for quality. And then, you know, suddenly it all became like a race for who could get the most viewers and... I suppose it does matter now because otherwise they wouldn't get their, their their money, their subsidy, would they, if they 
But of course, it was always quality in those days. Yes, I agree. Mm. Now, I must ask you about this. Uh, Are you still a smoker? Oh, dear, said she, just having taken a puff, yes. Right. What's your opinion on these new electric cigarettes? Have you seen any of them or tried them? I I asked the one at Dot several years ago. It wasn't a very big storyline to be given, but they never did it. And I did ask several times. I thought Bradley should give her one. Not Nick. <laughs> but you know how many years ago... So you, Bradley, what, you want Bradley to give you one? Well, oh, dear, I didn't need that to really sound as well. Oh, you've confused me now. Oh, <laughs> what have you said? Yes, a, an electric cigarette. I wanted him to give me. Well, he's been gone, what, three years, dear, mm. dear Charlie? Uh, not Charlie, what am I talking about? Yes, Charlie Clemens. Mm. Oh, you get so confused with their names now and... Especially when they're the same as somebody's Christian. You get people who are characters. There was a Jake in it, and I haven't been in it for some while, which was fortunate for me because I managed to write all these, oh, God knows how many thousand words. And, uh, you know, but I thought, oh, I can't believe this. There was Jake giving Lauren a great kiss. I thought, it's incest now, I thought. Oh, I can't go into this if they're going to have incest. Well, of course, it's some other character who's called Jake, who's a young man. I was confusing Jake with Max, you see, because that's what they do to you. They suddenly, you don't know where you are. I always remember there was Tom the Popman, and who was really, and Tom Watts, who was somebody else. And mm. It was very difficult not to sometimes call them by their proper names especially when they were confusing. I'm talking to Jude Brown. She's got a book out called Before the Year Dot, which is really exciting, and it will be a bestseller, make no mistake. I've got to ask, why do you think, and you, you, you're you clever, you you weigh stuff up, why do you think you are a gay icon? <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think they like her because she's what's known as camp. <laughs> I, I don't know if everybody understands what camp is, but it's a kind of way of acting that's got an edge on it. I can't explain it. I could do it so she was utterly serious and then she'd be frightfully boring. People would get, well, I wouldn't be in it now if I'd let it be, but I put an edge of comedy on it, even when I'm at my most serious. Well, not utterly when she's upset, no, but most of the time. And then people, they like it because it makes them laugh. Mm. You're a serious actress and always have been, and you've done some incredible productions. This has got to be the most difficult question you could ever ask somebody like you. Is there one that you'll never forget? I've got about three plays that I'll never forget doing, I think, uh, because I loved uh, the parts, and I played Kay of Kay and the Conways at a time in the Conways when I was about 21, and it was simply wonderful because it was one of the Priestley time plays, J.B. Priestley, and you started off at Kay's 21st birthday, and the second act was 20 years on, and what they talk of all about their dreams and their ambitions, and then you see what's happened to them. And then the third act, she suddenly comes out of this, but she's left very disturbed, and she says to her brother, what was that poem you said, which actually is one of the... Um, uh, not acknowledgements, uh, dedications in the book. I've got two lines of different poems. And it was, Joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing for the soul divine. And I think that's what my life has been, you know, joy and woe. I like it when it's joy and grief. It makes, I thought it was grief, but mm-hmm. it's so. I think that's beautiful. So, and that and The Lion in Winter, which was at Eleanor of Aquitaine, 
made into a film. Funnily enough, I never went to see the film because I always had the feeling that I would play it and I didn't want to see Catherine Hepburn because it might influence me. Not in the way I did it, mm-hmm. stop me from doing things that I might have done, but she did, and I wouldn't have wanted to copy and that. And then I was thinking of another one. There was another one I loved. I've completely forgotten it, Peter. So I wonder if I've got any memory left at all. You've got an incredible memory um, when you think of uh, the way you've, you've written a book, the work you do. I think you're just amazing. Did you enjoy or were you nervous about doing Calendar Girls in 2009? I absolutely loved it. I, I mean, I didn't have a very big part, but it was... I don't know. This is what I was talking I had this joy. I wanted to go on the stage all the time. I wouldn't have cared if there was another matinee. I used to go on and I... And that's what I'm saying to you about. You must go on. You must think, this is lovely when you go on, especially pantomime, because it's fun, isn't it? And I just... I couldn't wait. And the weird thing was that I was born in a bungalow called the Hollies. I now live in a bungalow, and opposite me is Holly Hill... I, my school, believe it or not, our actual acting school there was in the Old Vic Theatre, which had been bomb-damaged, and the public weren't allowed in, but they didn't mind these young boys and girls going in. They didn't care about the students. And I rehearsed there for Calendar Girls, and then we played it at what was the new theatre, which is now the Noel Coward, and that was the first stage I ever acted on. So I thought, I don't like this, this has come full circle. I'm for the big chop, I thought, here. <laughs> I thought I wouldn't last very long. but And I remember going on to that stage, and I stood in the spot where I'd played Olivia at the Vic, and I did a bit of it, you, you know. And, uh, and not anybody else heard. It was just me standing, doing something I'd done when I was 21. And that was a lovely moment. Mm. No, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I'd like to do something like that again. <laughs> What would your late husband think of the book? Which one? Bob or Johnny? I have two <laughs> late husbands. Well, I've been widowed twice, which is why I don't think any other man would take me on, because they'd look at that and think, this isn't very auspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll be the third, don't think. No, anyway, I don't. I'd like a companion, Pete. I'd really love someone to go out with, someone to say, let's go to the seaside, let's go to the theatre, I've got tickets. It'd be very nice... You do get lonely when you're older and you haven't got anybody. In spite of family, mm. partner's a different thing, isn't it? So what do you think your two late husbands would have thought of the book? I think Johnny would have liked it, yes. I don't know if Bob would have liked it because I was very much in love with my first husband. But we're very close, you see. I came close to having the relationship I'd always wanted to have with Maurice, with Johnny. But And I think he'd be, well, I'm sure he does know, that I finally understood why he killed himself, you know. And he didn't want to. I remember him looking out of the window that morning and saying, it was May the 4th, and it was a beautiful day. Isn't it a lovely day, he said. And it was as if he was saying goodbye to it, hmm. but reluctant to leave it. And that was very moving really I wasn't going to bring that up but as you've mentioned it how long and how did you cope with trying to come to terms with that well I I understood it you see the morning after he died it just became crystal clear to me why he'd done it 
And and once I knew that, you know, and I had some wonderful friends to support me, wonderful. I look back and think how lucky I was to have these wonderful friends that I had because I don't know if I appreciated them at the time. But, you know, and I mean, I used to cry on my own a lot in the car, driving the car. I used to think, you must stop this, and I used to drive very fast. And I'd think to myself, you know, if you're not careful, June, you'll have an accident. Fortunately, I never did. But I used to steam down country roads. Uh, Well, those cars of those days, my car would do over 70, but they were country lanes. You know, I could do 82 going downhill in my Morris Minor. (laughs) But but in front of people, I put on this incredible face because I remember people saying to some old lady, very wise old woman, isn't June wonderful? And she said, I wish that she would uh, grieve more. She said, because she will, mm. which I did later. You know, I wish she wouldn't put on this. I didn't deliberately put on an act, but, you, you know, you laughed and, and and talked. and. Yeah, but if you hurt inside, some people deal with it that way, you know. June, writing about the love affairs, as you said yourself, that you, you were looking and you were having these love affairs, was it hard to write about them? Or did you sort of get into it and think... When well, you've written it, wow. Let's face it, it's from the years 18 to 23, and that's a long, long time ago. And they were very nice young men, you know, and uh, they were all different. And I was always in love. You never, never did it. I hate this way that people use it as a very uh, normal thing. It's like having, so we have fish and chips today, you know. Mm. I mean, if anybody said to me, let's have, I'd say... I'd, I'd retreat, you know, I find that was awfully vulgar. No, you always had to be in love. I did, anyway. And it's a long time ago. How many years would you say? 60, 60, 25, oh, bit one more. 62, 63 years ago. Mm. I don't know how many of them are still alive. And, and Raoul, the person, the one I was in love with from the time I was 14 to 18, I've often thought of him. And he was a wonderful man. It, you know, he, he, was a, he was almost a boy when I first met him. He was a student, and he'd come over when Belgium was invaded, and they'd actually, he, his mother, and his half-sister had come, gone to Dunkirk. They'd been on the beaches of Dunkirk. But nobody mentioned the fact of the bombs and the shell holes and the strapping and the awfulness of it. They just said, and so we escaped from, we came via Dunkirk, as if it was, you know crew or somewhere. <laughs> June, you, are your children pleased with the book or have they given you any grief over it? Because I know all your family are outspoken, including yourself. Yes, no, I think so, because Nimmy, they all try to say, Mother, don't be stupid, when I think it's not up to scratch. And they say, it's wonderful. And everyone who reads it says, it's wonderful. Why? And I think I'm such a perfectionist that unless I feel I've done my very, very best, I'm not satisfied. And I'm well, I'm already rewriting, although I haven't read it, believe me. <laughs> I've got a manuscript. Yeah. I can't read it. I'm too frightened. It's not because I didn't write it, because I did. You know, I didn't have a ghostwriter or anyone, but I'm too conceited, I think. I always think I can do everything better than everybody else. I'm terrible, really. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity, Peter, you see. Will you read the critics, or will you not? 
I usually don't, and I hope that someone will bring something to my attention, if it's worth, if it's a, if it's praise. But I don't really want to hear the criticism. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know, it's terrible. Well, there's no point. They criticise something. Well, you can do something about it, because you can... You know, if, if there's a reprint, you could alter things in that. And if there's a paper book, paperback, you could book, well, back book, you could uh, do the same thing. And But you can't stop writing it. That's the awful part, although it's finished. You're still writing it in your head. Mm. Lots of it I know off by heart. Really? I think, yes, I oh. think I might, if it's successful enough, I think I'll, I'll do a talking book. I'd like to do that. That would be fabulous. Now, that would be really interesting because you'd be able to do that so well as an actress, so that, that would be great. Bob Monkhouse's was a great one. He he did a talking book, and uh, yes. it, I just love that idea because a lot of people can't get into a book and read it. I don't. I would enjoy, I would enjoy driving back from a gig, yes. listening to you on my radio in a talking book. That would be sensational for me. Well, I, you see, Dirk Bogard is the one I always thought was a, he was a bit of a snob, but he wrote beautifully and a very interesting man. And, uh, you know, he read uh, one that I had. I think it was cleared for takeoff. And it was eight uh, CDs, I suppose you call them, eight-sided. I gave it to my friend Doreen, actually. She died two years ago. This is a sad part of getting ill. Uh, old, ill, old, no ill, hopefully. You know, your friends drop off, mm. and you do miss them. I miss Doreen, whom is in the book quite a lot. You died a couple of years ago, and I actually spoke at her funeral, and I just said what a wonderful friend she was. She was the epitome of friendship. She was always pleased when anything good happened for you. She enjoyed your success. She never you know, envious in any way, and she would do anything she could for you. You know, she was a wonderful friend, and I do miss not being able to pick the phone up and talk mm. to her, you know? June, will you ever stop working? I hope not, because I think I'd be terribly bored. I might be introspective and not go out much and become a recluse, and I need to work, I very much, because my brain always needs to be engaged. Mm-hmm. And if I can't... I like working on things, and I like asking why, and I like finding out. And I think you should always learn throughout your life, if possible, because I think it keeps you alive. I won't keep you any longer, but I will say one thing. I've kept away from uh, EastEnders. Would you say that the scene with Ethel was one of the most moving things you've done on EastEnders? It was lovely to do, because... You didn't want to change a word. It was beautifully written by Charlie. Charlie, I do remember his name. It, he's got that sort of comes and goes. Mm-hmm. One minute I know it. I nearly knew it there, and then it went. But it, it was such a wonderful script. And he actually had been a driver for um, one of the bosses at Yorkshire. He hadn't liked the script. He said, I could write better than that. And he said, the man said, do it. He was there. I know mm-hmm. his name, too. He was very important. And Charlie did, and he, he was a wonderful writer, absolutely wonderful. And she was lovely to act with. I went to her funeral, too. June Brown. Oh, I spoke at her funeral as well. <laughs> now, sorry, darling, I'll let you go. I talked. No, you're not. Let, excuse oh, me, I could talk I, to you for four hours. I feel awful keeping you this long. No, no, that's fine. What do you want people who are going to buy this book in their droves? It's called Before the Year Dot. What do you want them to do? 
to say when they've put the book down? I want them to have been, or maybe it might help them, I don't know, seeing the mistakes I made and the things I did, hopefully it will help people. And I hope it makes them laugh at times and maybe be a bit sad at times. But it's not all sadness. I mean, there's lovely deaths in it. My granddad was lovely. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. I I've never done this on 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 air. We are friends, but uh, I do want to sign copy, please. Uh, end of story. Oh. I do want to sign copy of this book. Oh, I'll send you one, and you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> I, I, for you, I would pay for it. I, I can't have freebies. Somebody accused me last night of having freebies. And can oh, I you ask have you a freebie for me <laughs> any day of the week? Can I ask you to say, in any way you want to say, to finish the show off, Papadopoulos. <laughs> well, I've got so embarrassed about saying that. Uh, the last time I said, I said, my boss. Oh, Opper, Opper, Mr. Opper. I begin to call him Mr. His name actually is, no, I think his name is Popper. That's right, Popper Dopper. <laughs> I can't even say it. Mr. Popper, Mr. Popper. Yeah, anyway, my boss, he said, yes, I'll do that. No, best not Dot's voice. My own voice. I can't do things like that. But I've had it. It was all right at the beginning, and now I rather wonder if it's worn thin. No, not at all. Not at all. June Brown, the book is called Before the Year Dot. You have a bestseller on your hands. Congratulations. And if you enjoy that, we've got some great podcasts. Why not just subscribe? It's free.